2 Kings chapter 4. We looked at the widow's oil last week. This week we look at the, the Shunammite woman. In verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went down to Shunam. I like the way that starts out. Now it happened. <laughs> How many times do things just happen? And we just well, that just happened. It seems like this was a, a good thing for both people. And God brought them together. Of course, they had to be open to some things too. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman. Um, another way to put that was a great woman. And she persuaded him to eat some food. Now that word persuaded is a little weak. I looked at, uh, if you look in the margin, you'll see it uh, maybe in yours there as, as well. But basically it means she laid hold of him. <laughs> so you get the idea that this woman is pretty forceful. Uh, she didn't become notable for, for <laughs> because of her husband. She became notable because she went out and got stuff. And she decided that Elisha needed to come over to her house and eat. And he probably didn't want to do it. Or probably just was, whatever it was, he probably said no. Or he was going to go off and do something else or, or whatever. And, and apparently she laid hold of him and he came over. To have, uh, have some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. Now, she's not getting hold of him anymore. She got hold of him the first time. And after that, he turned. Now, you've you got to think about this. Why is it all of a sudden that first she had to persuade him, and then from there on out, he doesn't have to. He just goes on his own. So if you, if you just read over this, you won't think about this at all. You just read over it while she went and got him or she persuaded him and now he's just going on in. But Elisha's a prophet, which means, you know, he's in ministry. And if you can think of it, when you go into a strange town as to, to minister, uh, just think of it here. When we bring in somebody from outside and we bring them in, what happens? Everybody clamors around the guest speaker, right? And you want to ask questions, maybe some of the things that he taught, maybe some of the things, places that he's been. You know, when Brother Tony Cook was here, you might want to ask some questions about Europe and about Russia when he was his time over there. And you might want to ask all these kind of questions about that or get his view on a particular thing. And how many of you can, can think of different ministers that you have some questions for? And you could sit there and you could talk to him for a long time. Well, it's not just you. There's other people who are out there as, as well. And so what happens is a lot of times when they go into... To, to a place, they get hit with a lot of people and a lot of questions and a lot of things are going on. And he's probably used to that. And well, to go over somebody's house means you're going to be fried with questions for pretty much the whole time. And he probably is resistant to that. And if you have, uh, it, it just depends on where you are, but where you, where you are in ministry. I know when, um, when I was single and an assistant pastor, I regretted every single invitation I had to someone's house. I did not like to go over anyone's house to eat. Because generally when you got over, they always had an ultimate motive. They had a reason for bringing you out. Sometimes they would bring in one of their nieces or, or, or a neighborhood friend or relative, just, just somebody who just happened to be around my age and they just happened to be coming to dinner at the same time. And these kind of things would go on. And so you would know you'd be, you're being set up. These kind of things are going on. Or uh, sometimes they would bring you in and they would have a, a problem in the church and they want to get you on their side. 
Or, and the list could go on. You can go on more and more of these to the point that you don't want to do it anymore. You don't want any of that kind of stuff going on. I got so opposed to all the stuff that people did that I, I, um, when, I, when I was single, if I sat next, I was, I was the um, youth pastor and the assistant pastor, and generally I spent most of my time in the services in the youth section. And if I sat next to someone who was anywhere close to my age and of the opposite sex, <laughs> the entire church was talking about it because I sat next to this person. If I talked to a person for longer than four or five minutes, I would set off rumors into the church. It got to the point that I had an internal clock that just went off on me automatically. If ever I was talking with somebody close to my age and of the opposite sex, then I would excuse myself from the conversation and go someplace else. I eventually stopped sitting with anyone. I sat on the front row. We had pews. We had three sections of pews, kind of like we had here. I sat in the middle section in the front row because no one sat there. No one ever sat there. So I would sit there and no one would sit next to me and then no rumors were started. And we just, you know, you, you can get so opposed to this kind of stuff that you just take all kinds of measures to make sure that it didn't happen and that these things wouldn't go. So I can relate to, to his not wanting to be going over to somebody's house for dinner. Plus, if you go over to their house for dinner, well, you know, I, I did feed you. Uh, you should do something. And they're always asking for these things back. But apparently the first time went pretty well. And he came back on his own. Now, he's not coming back because the food's good. The food may have been outstanding, but that will not bring you back if all that other stuff comes along. So somehow this, he sat there and had this entire meal and was amazed because nothing was required. He didn't even have to talk. He didn't have to do any, anything like that. He just was there. And he, he left and he's thinking, man, that was, that was unusual. And so then he began to detour off. And whenever he came in, he says, oh, that's where that woman's house is. We can go in there. We can get ourselves something neat and no one will bother us. And so he began to do this. Now, I'll have to, we'll have to wait to get to heaven to find out for sure. But I'll guarantee you that's what Elisha will tell you. <laughs> that he didn't have to, to put up with all that stuff. And so um, as, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. As often as he passed by, if he stopped by this week and then next week and then the week after, he'd stop in there to do it. And he'd keep piling up one after another after another. And she never asked for anything. Never talked his ear off. Nothing. To the point that we get to the next verse. Uh, hang on a minute. We're not there yet. And, and she said to her husband, look, now I have, I have known that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. So apparently he's on a, uh, they know sometime maybe this week, sometime every Friday, sometime every, whatever it is, it's a regular schedule, and he comes by, we know he's coming on by. He's going to come, come on by, he's going to be here, and we're going to get a chance to, to feed him. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table and a chair and a lampstand, so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So we're not content to just feed him, we now want to put him up in a place to stay so that if he ever comes by, he can eat, he can stay, and we'll give him breakfast the next day before he goes off to wherever he has to go. Now, she says, as we've talked about this before, you know, this, this woman, she's a planner. She, is, she plans out all this sort of stuff, but she doesn't build a thing. 
she's not a builder. She's a planner. She plans it. She tells it to her husband. Guess who built the room? It was the husband who built the room. She did not lift a finger. She did not lift the, she didn't pick up a nail. Now, this is not her calling. Her calling is to come up with the ideas. Her calling is to cook the food. Her calling is to be the, the hospitality. It's your job to build stuff. It's his, <laughs> the husband builds it totally silent. We don't hear too much about him, but it's just, um, you know, and she just comes up, you know, look, why don't we just build a room? Right? You ever done that with, uh, with somebody in your house? Ever just say, why don't we just do this? And, of course, it's a huge project. They see it as a huge project. And you're just saying, why don't we just do this? You know, why don't we just, why don't we just do this? Please let us make a small upper room. I wonder how small upper room it was. I'm sure, you know, it started out, yeah, just make a little tiny. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. But, you know, it's small enough to, be, to hold a bed and a, dress, and a dresser or a table and the, the lampstand and chair and all that sort of stuff. Whenever he comes, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and he lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he called, I guess he doesn't, he doesn't call people. Elisha doesn't call people. You know, he calls Gehazi and Gehazi, you go call her. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, said to him, didn't say he said to her, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he's, he has been coming in here. She has been ministering to him over and over and over. Built a room just for him. So whenever he came by, the room was empty. and He could just go in there and be in the room. And he's thinking, man, this woman has done all these things. She hasn't asked for a thing. She's not bending my ear, talking to me about all these Bibles. She's not asking me to seek after the Lord for her. She's not asking for miracles. She's not, nothing. I'm not used to this. People ask me for stuff. She hasn't asked me for anything. So he asked her, what can I do for you? Because he is used to people wanting something when he steps in and he, he doesn't. Certainly you, you want something. She doesn't. So he calls her. He says, what can we do? Can I talk to the king for you? And she goes, no. No, I just dwell among my own people. I'm fine. I got everything I need. Don't need nothing else. He's got to be scratching his head. He's got to be thinking, this, this isn't right. It doesn't happen this way. People don't just do nice stuff and not ask for anything. But that's what it is. She's not asking for a thing. And he is really perplexed about this. So they're talking about it. He and Gehazi. What then is to be done for her? He's just, all right, she won't tell us anything. Gehazi, what do you think we can do? Apparently, Gehazi interacted with her more than he did. So he's asking her for stuff. So she's not even getting a whole lot of chance to interact with them, just with Gehazi. He says, all right, come on, you know the situation is going on here. What can I possibly do for this woman? And so he says, well, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. So the prophet of God has interacted with this woman all this time, come to the house, eating the food, and does not know she doesn't have a son. That apparently is how little she bent his ear. So he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Now this says a whole lot about this. Who built the room? Who owns the room? Husband, her and the husband together, they own the room. It's in their house. It's their room. They, they bought, they paid for it. It's, but when he's in the room, 
It's his room. It's not her room anymore. She doesn't come into the room. She comes and stands at the doorway. She doesn't come into the room. Because as long as he is here, that room is his. And she stays outside. Not everybody has this mentality. There's a whole lot of folks in the Christian circle. Well, that's mine. I paid for it. And I'm letting you use it. (laughs) It's still mine. No, when he's there, that is his room. She built it for him. It's, that's, that's his whole, it's now doing its purpose, and she does not even enter into the room. She, he called her. She comes to the doorway, and she stops. Stands right there at the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace the son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now, she's probably had her hopes up before. Most of these women, you know, they want, they want children. They want lots of children. They want people to carry on. They want people to pass on the inheritance to, so forth. They have none. And they probably gave up. He said that the husband was old. Probably means she's old too. Maybe not as old as he is. But they're old. And she's saying, don't get, you get my hopes up now. I've already, I've already resigned myself that I'm not going to have any kids. I'm good with this. I haven't asked you for anything. Don't you be messing with my life. <laughs> And get me to have my hopes up. Because that hasn't happened so far. I didn't ask you for it to happen. I'm just out here um, worshiping God. I just worship God. Serving God. I don't get mad at God because I don't have any kids. I'm fine. Don't be messing with this. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. Now we don't know what other discourse happened between them. She She said this and he may have said some things after that but it's not recorded. But uh, as we said, this woman had never asked for a thing. Never asked for a single thing. That's, that's just amazing. Even if she wasn't doing the room and the food for any purpose, along the way, wouldn't you think something might come up? And if you have the prophet, the prophet of God in the nation coming to your house on a regular basis, don't you think you could have come up with something to ask him? And she hasn't asked for a thing. And all this time. Now she wants to make a room, but she does it with her husband, not against. We've got to always look at that. Don't, she doesn't try to do anything behind his back. Of course, she needs him to make it. But she, she comes to him and she gets the husband on the same page and they're making this together. Now Elisa asks her what he can do to reward her. She has no need. Can you imagine that? She has no need. Now there's probably something that she lacks. But she sees herself as having no need. She has no motive. There is no motive that she is doing these things for Elisha to get. Nothing. She just serves with a pure heart. This is what has really gotten a hold of Elisha. Because not too many people do this. Even some of the best Christians, even some of the best Jews in this case, had some motivation for why they were doing the things they were doing. But... uh, but not this one. So this great woman, this notable woman, responds with unbelief. So you've got the man of God. He's the prophet of the country. And he says this thing, and she basically responds with unbelief. And that's where we leave it. Verse 18. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he's out there with the, in the field. He's obviously past the age of, of not talking. He is, he is speaking. 
Um, you know, he could be five, six, seven. He could be older than that, but he probably could be in that neck of the woods. So still all this time, Elisha's been coming. Elisha still has the room. Elisha still stops by, sees the little boy growing up. He said to his father, my head, my head. Now, how many times have your kids, when they're young, complained about a headache, complained about a cough? You know, you don't think a whole lot of it. You know, just go and lie down. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat her on her, on her knees till noon and then died. So the little boy comes, brought to her mother. Mom's just kind of holding him. So, you know, he's not a teenager. A teenager's not going to sit on mom's lap. That's just not going to happen. But, you know, when, I mean, even five, six, and seven, they probably don't. But when they're sick, maybe they're, you know, a little bit more to, apt to, to be that way. I don't think he can be much older and have this scenario go on. But anyway, he's, uh, he's young enough that he's going to sit on her lap, not crush her, but, uh, and be comfortable there. So he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Now, we get no inkling from the story that either the husband or the wife were expecting this to be a death disease, just kind of holding them and just comforting them. And, you know, maybe he's got a fever, maybe just something. And we'll just uh, get him over this thing and then he'll be, be fine. And then all of a sudden he's dead. Now, can you imagine being a mom? You're holding your son and then all of a sudden he's dead. That would throw most women. I would think. I think it would throw most men too if they were holding the son and he, and he died. Look what she does. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Now she shall go in this room when he's not there. When he's not there, it's her room. She still considers it his, but she'll go in there, clean it, keep it ready, do all the things that are necessary so that when he comes by, she doesn't say, oh, let me go clean it. She wants it ready. and So, so when he's not there, she'll go into the room. When he's there, she don't go into the room. It's his. But right now he's not there. So she goes in and she takes the dead boy and lays him on the bed of Elisha. And it's interesting that she calls it his bed. Laid him on the bed of the man of God. Shut the door upon him and went out. That also tells us that she didn't use this as a guest room. <laughs> this is his room. This is his bed. It's all it was there for. Then she called her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. He's not thinking there's anything wrong with the sun. That's how insignificant this thing seemed to be to them. And she said, it is well. <laughs> now, if you are a mom who was just holding your son for a few hours, and then he died on your lap, would you only say to your husband, can I have one of the servants and a donkey? What's wrong? It is well. This woman is quite remarkable. She is, she is something else. She's one of those ones I'm looking forward to meeting up there. I, I want to talk to this woman. She, she had some, some stuff going on. You can see why Elisha was taken to her and why he, um, he, he, he came back there as much times as he did. And she said, it is well. Well, we see that after he died in her arms, I put this in your, your outline for you. Why is our attention so often drawn to the ministry we have given when loss we encounter? Many times we do things to help to do things for God. And as soon as we have a loss, we begin to think about all the things we did on ministry. Let's see what this woman does. 
Verse, um, verse 24. Then he saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. <laughs> she said, We're going fast. So you, uh, you keep going. Now she's riding a donkey. Servant's walking. <laughs> right? Because she saddled a donkey. Right? We don't have two donkeys. We have one donkey. That's why this woman did not build this room. This, this woman is not walking to the man of God. This woman rides to the man of God. Okay? The, the servant, he's walking. And she says, you just keep going. You don't slow down for me. Now, I'm thinking he's going to get tired before she does. But apparently she says, don't slow down unless I tell you to. <laughs> so you can keep running. You can keep walking right alongside me here while I ride this donkey. And she sat on a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God in Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman. Now the Shunammite woman, he doesn't know anything that's going on before this. She took the boy up. He was dead. Put him in the prophet's bed. And we saw that she closed the door. We talked about closing the door last time. And and went out of the house, closed the door behind her, and then went out of the house. Got the donkey, saddled it up, came went out here to her. He sees her far off. He says, look, the Shunammite woman. He's seen her often enough that if a distance off, he can tell that's her. That's her. I can tell that's her. He says, please now, or please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son. We're seeing a lot of it as well here, aren't we? It is well all over the place. And she answered, it is well. So she said to the husband, it is well. She says, not to Elisha. She doesn't say it is well to Elisha. She says, it is well to Gehazi. This woman, and you'll see this in the story, and, uh, you'll, of course, we'll see in other places. But this woman very much knows there is a difference between Elisha and Gehazi. That they are not the same caliber person. And she treats them differently. So when he comes up, he says, I'm, I am not telling what I need to tell to you. She doesn't even have enough respect or doesn't even uh, see, see her husband's life to be in such a way that she can tell it to him. Because he'll get all upset and carry on, maybe do some stuff. She says, no, 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 I just need to, I can handle this. I'm going to the man of God. She says, and don't worry about anything. Everything's fine. She says, the Gehazi, don't worry about anything. Everything's fine. It is well. Hmm. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said to her, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Now, here's this verse. You will see a whole lot of difference between Elisha and Gehazi. Gehazi is right there with Elisha. He sees all the things that Elisha does. He is basically um, Elisha to Elijah. That's the relationship they have. It's exactly the same thing. But Gehazi is not as good of a mentoree as Elisha was. Even though Elisha is probably a better mentor than Elijah was. Gehazi does not pull out of the same things. 
So he is seeing all the same stuff, but he cannot pick up on these things. He doesn't pick up that the woman is in distress when he comes to, to, to talk with her. He doesn't pick up on it at all. When she comes and she falls down at his feet, he still doesn't pick up that she is distressed. He comes over to move her away. You will not touch the man of God like that and comes to move her away. And Elisha stops him. Now look at what again his words. Let her alone for her soul is in deep distress. He's picking this up. She is really troubled about something. And the Lord has hidden it from me. That tells me that Elisha expects if something is going on, I should know about it. And I generally do. Isn't that amazing? Because no one else can come and tell him. The woman hasn't said a word. But Elisha still expects to know what's going on. And when he doesn't, he says, the Lord has hidden it from me. We look at the things that the Lord reveals to us. Elisha looks at the things the Lord hides. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? We get it tickled when God reveals something to us. <laughs> Elisha is tickled when, wow, God has hidden this from me. Why has God hidden this from me? I can't believe I didn't know about this. I should have known about this before. And he didn't. Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She still hasn't told him a thing. But when she brings up the son and she sees him, she's in distress, he says, aha, I know what it is. I know what it is. Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. So he's, Gehazi is the go. Gehazi is, is a known property in this nation because he's always with Elisha. So now you've got Gehazi by himself away from Elisha. You might have all kinds of questions for him. Hey, Gehazi, what did Elisha do here? What's Elisha going to do? What's Elisha think about this? And he says, if you see anybody, do not let them stop you. You keep on going. You just keep, keep going that direction. Don't, don't stop. Go and take this. Put it on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, now look at this. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. That is exactly word for word what Elisha said to Elijah three different times. Now this tells us something about this. That Elisha, when he sat down to eat, told some stories. He felt comfortable enough with this woman in the house that he told some stories that happened between him and Elijah, even to the point where he told the final story. That has to be the most personal. That has to be the hardest thing for him to share, to just let out there to anybody. He told this story to her. And he said to her, Elijah said, wait here, I'm going to go on. And I told him, and then I told him again, and then I told him again. And she put his words into her mouth and spoke them right back to him. This has reference to what Elisha did with Elijah. Basically, I am not leaving you 
until I get the blessing that I wanted. That's why Elisha didn't leave. And finally in the end, uh, Elijah says, all right, if you see me, you're going to get that request. But he didn't leave. He didn't leave. And she knows this story. And so she's passing this story on. She's basically saying, I am not leaving you until I get what I need. And she uses these words. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Hmm. So he arose and followed her. That's exactly what Elisha did with Elijah. He followed him. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to him to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. Now Gehazi goes through all the motions. He does exactly what Elisha says. Go and lay this staff. He lays the staff. He kind of just sits back there and waits. Yeah, nothing's happened yet. Kind of thought it would happen by now. Nothing's really happening. I guess it's not working. I have to go back and tell Elisha it didn't work. He's not involved. All he is doing is going through the motions. He's just doing what he was told to do. How many Christians just do what they are told to do what they see other people do, they're not involved. But when Elisha comes, he gets involved. It's a difference here. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was a child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them. Again, we see the shut the door part here. And prayed to the Lord. And he went up and he lay on the child. And put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. So he told Gehazi to do what the Lord told him to do, which was to take the staff and put it on his hand. But that didn't do anything. And he came on in there. He shut the door. He prayed. He went up and he lay on the child. The child's dead. You imagine doing this? He's got a dead body. He's been dead for, it's not just that they died. They've been dead for a while. The child is cold. Can you imagine laying on top of a cold corpse? <laughs> all right, that's not all we did. And he went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child. And the flesh of the child became warm. That's all that happened. He became warm. He returned to the house. He walked back and forth in the house. And again went up and stretched himself. So he opens the door. He comes back out into the house. He leaves the child. The child's warm now. But he's not alive. So he comes back and walks around the house. Gets himself out of there for a little bit maybe. Seeking after the Lord. He returned, walked back and forth in the house again and went up and stretched himself out on him. And then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. <laughs> so he lays himself out on the child, on the dead child, in a way that most of us would think, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. And it didn't work. He didn't come back to life. He warmed up, but he didn't come back to life. And so he goes out of the room. 
It's, I can almost hear what he's saying to God. God, I did what you told me to do. I followed the exam. This is what you put in me to do. I went out there and I did it. And it didn't go on yet. Now, I'm not leaving here until this child's alive. So what is it that we got to do? And maybe he heard nothing. And if he heard nothing, then he probably just went back and did what he was told to do. Because we're not told that he heard anything from God. We're not told. He just walked around for a while and he went back up and he did the exact same thing. Stretched himself over the child. Then the child sneezed seven times. Of all the things to do, you're going to sneeze. Now think about this. And he returned, walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him, which means his mouth is on his mouth, his eyes are on his eyes, his hands are on his eyes. And what's the boy do? Sneezes. Seven times. Seven times. All right, if it wasn't gross enough that you're laying on top of a dead corpse, when he comes back to life, he then sneezes on you. Yeah, you got snot on you now. Right? I mean, what else is going on here? Child sneezes seven times. I'll tell you what, if there's not snot coming out, you think there is. Right, don't you? Oh, man, I'll tell you what. I was giving a ride to my granddaughter the other day. We were going around the block, and, and she sometimes just gets this thing. She wants to get up on my shoulders. So she's up on my shoulders, and so I'm hauling her around, and you know, I got her hands, and, and so she doesn't fall backwards, stuff like that. I got my hold in her hands, and all of a sudden, head, choo! <laughs> right on top of my And out of her mouth, she's so cute with this. She goes, sorry, pop up. <laughs> I just laughed and I said, oh, don't you worry about it. It's fine. But, you know, you don't even have to look up there. You just feel like there's probably <laughs> snot all over. The <laughs> Whether it's a dry sneeze or whatever it is. But seven times this child sneezes. Now, I might be having a conversation with God. God, when they come alive again, do they really have to sneeze? No other person comes alive and sneezes. Does Lazarus sneeze? We don't have anything, nothing with him. When Jesus takes that son out of the coffin, does he sneeze? The child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and he said, call the Shunammite woman. Again, he doesn't call people. <laughs> Gehazi, come on. You got to do something useful here. You go call her. Yeah, I'm not leaving the room. I'm staying right here. You go call her. So Gehazi is always within earshot of Elisha. And all Elisha has to do is say, Gehazi, here he is. He's right there. Yeah, go call the Shunammite woman. So she, he goes on out. He called to her. And when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. Now, how many of you can think of some better things to say? <laughs> the son's been dead. You went through this whole battle. I mean, you're up there in the room and you lay out like you're supposed to and nothing happens. Gehazi does the first part. Nothing happened after that. You come out of the room. You walk around. You, I don't know about you, but I know this. He did not walk around without that Shunammite woman knowing he was there. And don't you think she came up? What's going on? Is he alive? What can he say? But he just keeps walking around. He may, yeah, he may just ignore her. He may say, you, you just wait. I'm not done yet. I'm still here. So he says, call the Shunammite woman. I would think by now he'd know her name. Yep. But anyway, that's what we, we have in there. So he called her. When she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So that's what we come up. Pick up your son. Basically just saying, done, pick him up. 
So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. I think it's interesting to see, because you remember when Elijah was with the, the woman, and they had the oil and the flour continue to multiply? And when he raised up the, the dead son, what, what happened there? Now I know you're a man of God. And it's real fun to compare Elijah raising up the dead son with Elisha raising up the dead son. It's one of some fun things to do. You can uh, go back and take a look at that. But anyway, now I know that you're a man of God is what, is what she said. What's this woman say? Nothing. She went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Because she knew he was a man of God before. She knows he's a man of God now. And remember what she said before she went. I am going to see the man of God. She knew that he was a man of God when her son was dead. The other woman said, Now I know that you are a man of God. What a comparison. We're not taking time to go back there, but if you want to, go back there and reread that story with that and take a look at some of the other similarities that are there. It's, it's a fun little, little thing to see. Now I know that you are a man of God. She, he doesn't, she does not say. Fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. As far as we know, she didn't even say anything. If you were in her situation and your son came back to life after dying on your lap, would the first thing you do be to pick up your son or to bow at his feet? She didn't pick up her son until after she went before the man of God, bowed at his feet. She picked up her son and went out. Didn't say anything else. She picked up her son and went out. She's quite a woman. She's, she's going to be one of those ones that's... Uh, going to be fun to meet. Now, put these things here in your outline for you. Three things, three reasons that we generally sow. Am I sowing to minister, to obey God, or to receive? Am I sowing to minister, to obey God, or to receive? Sometimes we are sowing simply to minister to people. That's it. We're just sowing. We, we just, this woman is sowing into Elijah for the sole purpose of ministering to him. Not expecting anything back. Just ministering to him. That's it. Doesn't expect anything back. Doesn't want anything back. Doesn't seem to need anything back. That's it. Just sowing into him. So we could be sowing to minister. We could be sowing to obey God. God may say something to us and say, I want you to do this. I want you to sow this. I want you, and we're doing it as obedience to God. Because God said to do something, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it, not based on who it is that receives it, but based on who it is that told me to do it. And so we just do it to obey God. Or we can do it to receive. How many times have uh, we seen in the Word of God, sow to receive, and, and we've, we've learned those principles. And so, Father God, I need to receive this, so I'm going to sow this. All right, so we sow those things. Now, if we are sowing to receive, who do I expect to multiply the seed? If we are sowing to receive, it's not bad to sow to receive. I don't want to give you that, uh, that impression that it's bad to, to, to sow to receive. But if we are going to sow to receive, who do we expect to multiply the seed? 
two choices here. We can expect that the seed will be multiplied by the soil or that the seed will be multiplied by the Lord of the harvest. Many people sow expecting the soil to multiply the seed. And that's who Elisha is used to. People give me things because they expect me to give something back. But they expect that since I'm a man of God, what I will give them back will be more than what they gave me. He's used to that. But this woman was different. She gave, but she didn't expect Elisha to be the one to give anything back. And when even asked about it, I don't need anything. I'm good. Even though there were needs, I don't need anything. I'm good. And he was drawn to her because she had faith that if I sow to minister, if I sow to obey God, or if I sow to receive, it is the Lord of the harvest who will bring the abundance, not the soil. Not the soil. When we give, are our eyes on the Lord of the harvest or the soil? Who do we expect to multiply? Who do we expect to do the the multiplication? And even when she comes to him after the son dies, she's coming to the man of God. She's coming to the man of God, not to the man. She comes to the man of God. She still sees him as the man of God. She hasn't lost any faith in his ability to connect into God. A lot of times, folks, if we sow and expect the soil, the person that we sowed into, if we expect them to do something, we can lose faith in them. She didn't. This is a remarkable woman. She is, she is something. I don't know if this, this just didn't put her name in the, the story, but he wrote, was originally. You know, he may have actually called her by name and whoever wrote down the story, maybe they just um, put in another Shunammite woman because of whatever reason. So I don't know that he necessarily called her the Shunammite woman all the time. But anyway, he, um, he had a relationship with her and he knew. But Elisha expected that God would reveal these things to him and is shocked when he doesn't. Do we ex- expect God to reveal things to us? Or do we still stay surprised when he reveals things that we don't know? Hmm. Depends on what our relationship is with him, huh? We know what Elisha's was. I'll tell you what, good place to be. To be just expecting that if I need to know about it, God will tell me. God will tell me. Now this is the same guy that heard the plans of the king of Syria and would tell the king of Israel, don't go here. He's laying a trap for you. That's how much he heard. And we can expect to hear too. We can certainly expect to hear too. We got three people involved in this story. You got Elisha and the things we learned from being in the, the standpoint of the one who's doing the ministry. We got Gehazi, who's the buffer in between, who's the, uh, the helper to Elisha. And we see a lot of shortcomings on Gehazi. But Elisha still sticks with him. I'm not real sure why. The Shunammite woman doesn't seem to have a whole lot of faith in Gehazi, but Elisha still does. Eventually, Gehazi will go away and another one will take his place, but not, not for a bit. And then you have the Shunammite woman. 
Husband's involved there too, but we don't really get a whole lot of things going on with him. But then you have the, the Shunammite woman. I'll tell you what. She was careful with her words. She was careful who she involved in her problem. Sometimes we need to learn to do that. We involve some people in our problems that really we shouldn't be involving because we get all of their worries, all of their cares, and all their concerns come right along with us. We don't necessarily need to have those things. <laughs> Shut the door. <laughs> Father, we thank you that you are our God. If there are things we need to know about, you will reveal them to us. We can have that confidence. Bring us to a place, Father, in our life where we can walk like this Shunammite woman did. Where we give because you said. We give just simply to minister. We don't give expecting the soil to produce. But that the Lord of the harvest will multiply whatever seed we sow. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you for the love and care and concern that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.